Are you ready for Valentine's Day? You know what's coming? Two more days. I suspect if you rush into the local pharmacy, you're going to find the cards don't have a lot of choices, you know. I always find it hard to shop for Valentine's. You go in and what do you go with? You know, the, the beautiful one, the sweet kind of, you know, one, or do you go with the joker one, you know, or, or the apologize because I haven't been a decent husband all through this year, but now I want you to be my Valentine kind of thing. You know, Valentine's Day is really not a big holiday, is it? Well, I don't know about that. You know, how many of you celebrated yesterday National Don't Cry Over Spilled Milk Day? Or last week, National Tater Tots Day? I mean, you could go onto the internet and find out practically every day has some kind of holiday attached to it. But Valentine's Day has been around for centuries. And it's not a religious holiday. It's not really a national holiday. It's a folk holiday, is it not? But husbands, be warned. Don't forget. You know, you go into Safeway, what do you find? Enormous piles of flowers and chocolates and displays, and, and they set aside check stands. Well, I used to work at a grocery store, and um, we always set up this one check stand, and the checker in that, we would call them the love checker. They didn't like that. <laughs> but Valentine's is a significant holiday because all of us want to be reassured that we are loved. And as we turn to the Word of God this morning, in a sense we're hearing a valentine from God assuring that He loves us. So let's turn to Psalm 119, to verse 41 through 48, which is the wow section. Now you might look at the title of the sermon and think, what is this? Vows of love. Is this a spell checker problem here? Um, did the church secretary misspell the word vow and leave out the W and put a U in by mistake? No, actually this is a name of a Hebrew letter. Vow. Hebrew, it's a Hebrew letter in the Hebrew alphabet and as you're probably many of you are aware, Psalm 119 has eight verses dedicated to each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And today we're at the section, wow. And for me, it's kind of a pun, vows of love, because this is exactly what the Lord gives us in this passage. Let's hear the word of God and stand if you're able to listen to it. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
Is this a valentine from the Lord? Well, Valentine's Day is always associated with love. And obviously love is an important part of this particular passage. Now, before I delve into this passage as a whole, I want to look a little bit more at Psalm 119. Do you realize it's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. All but one refer to God's word, whether it's his judgments, his rules, his commandments, his statutes, but every verse but one refers, in a sense, to what God has communicated to us and how we respond to it. You know, this passage, when Augustine, the great saint of the 600s, was writing his commentaries, he kept putting it off, kept putting it off. He kept saying, it's too profound, there's too much in it. He, was, he felt he wasn't ready yet to tackle this song. Calvin, well, he charged right into it and wrote 465 pages in his commentary on Psalm 119. That's a pretty thick book. Luther said, this is the psalm that teaches us how to do theology. Because it teaches us to pray, to meditate, and to test our hearts. Matthew Henry said, this is the brightest star in the constellation of the Psalter. I mean, all the commentators, when they look at this psalm, they say, there is so much here. As I mentioned, it's an alphabetic psalm. It, it starts with Aleph, it ends with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And as it goes through each one, it takes eight verses with the beginning word of each verse, beginning with the letter of the alphabet that, of that section. Well, that's an interesting because when we get to wow, there are no Hebrew words that begin with that letter. It's a conjunction. If there's any grammar people out there, you know it's, it can be translated as and or but or now. It's just something that links a phrase to the next phrase. And so as well comes into the picture here, he doesn't have a bunch of words to tie it together, but this section is a unified section. Now, commentators vary in their opinions of this. They think, well... It's almost like every verse is just an individual thing, like the books of Proverbs, you know, where each verse really doesn't connect too much to the preceding and following verses. But I would argue that if you really want to get serious and study Psalm 119, you will find that each section has a little bit of a theme to it. And in this particular one, the theme is that of love. God's love for us our love for him. And significantly enough, the first time that this psalm uses the word love, either speaking about God's love or our love, is right here in these verses. As we begin, the first verse is probably just a wonderful verse. If there's anything you want to take away this morning, it's to, you ought to memorize this verse. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Let 
Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. You like Charlie Brown? You know what happens to Charlie Brown every Valentine's Day? He gets his box and takes it to school like all school kids do and waits to get a valentine and he particularly wants a valentine from the little red-headed girl. Does he ever get the valentine from the little red-headed girl? No, he doesn't. He wants assurance. He wants a valentine. And so the psalmist here is going to give us the valentine we so much need. And it's right here in these words. You know, we have our doubts. It's easy to feel like, really, does God really love me? I mean, to go through the week, it has its ups and downs. I need occasionally a hug from the Lord. Or even a hug from, from my children or, or my wife or somebody to, to encourage me as I go through these things. And as we come to this passage, we first of all want to see that God is making a very clear statement that he loves us. The word he uses here, hesed, the Hebrew word, now you've probably heard this from a preacher once or twice, is the word that means mercy. It means steadfast love. It means loving kindness. Now, in English, when we use the word love, we have all kinds of meanings. We love our wives. We love chocolate and flowers. Remember that, husbands? Wives love husband, chocolate and flowers. We love to watch the Super Bowl. All in that same word. Now, the Greek language has five different words relating to love, and the Hebrew language has seven, each with particular meanings. This particular word is always associated with God's covenant promise of mercy and love to us. It's steadfast, it's certain, it's sure. God's love here is presented to us as a certainty. Something he has vowed to us, a promise that he will keep. And he goes on in the second half of the verse, the parallelism, God's love is his salvation. And this is the first time in this psalm that the word salvation is used. Interesting. The prayer is, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Because obviously... He's having his doubts. It's like you pick the daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Well, the psalmist goes on to say, then I'll have an answer. To he who taunts me. Now, what kind of taunts are these? these are the, this is where our culture says, God really doesn't love you. Show me. You know, do you have the wealth? Do you have the power? Or do you, you're getting old, you're getting infirm. Uh, look at what happened in Syria and Turkey. Is that God's love? And, and we're being tested. Do we really believe God loves us? Do we really believe that he has given us a promise that we can depend on? And then he goes on in that, that 
The next parallel part of that, he says, Do not take the word of truth out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Don't leave me disappointed. When I profess that I love Jesus, don't let me be disappointed. Don't let those who taunt me win. So obviously here, as he is reaching out and asking for God to give him assurance of his love, he's also acknowledging the fact it's a struggle. And we can struggle from day to day with the certainty that God loves us. And so he says, two things I have to have here. I have to have trust and I have to have hope. I have to trust God. Now, in verse um, 42, he says, I trust in your word. Now, this is not really the sense of faith, of believing, you know, that, that aspect of trust. The, word, the Hebrew word for trust there is more the sense of leaning against something and trusting it, you will not fall over with it. Uh, a good solid brick wall, not a rickety old rotten fence that might just fall over when I lean against it. Trust. I trust in your word, what you have spoken to me. And so this is what he needs. He needs to trust God. Not just believe God in that sense, but to trust him. And then he says, also hope is a matter here. Do not take the word of truth out of my mouth, for my hope is in what your rules. Well, rules is probably uh, another one of those synonyms. There, there's like about eight to ten different words describing God's word here. It's a parallelism. It's what God has given to us, his, his established truth. My hope is in that. I don't hope in anything else but this. And it's, you know, Romans chapter 8 ends with that very kind of concept that we, we have a certainty in the grace of God. Well, let's move on a little bit more into this psalm. Because there's something else to see here. You know, Valentine's Day, um, you've got to make a decision, you know. What are you going to get that spouse? One of those goofy cards? A dozen roses, well, boy, look at the price of roses. Maybe a couple daisies will work. Um, chocolates, well, I don't know, you know, they just said that uh, Theo's chocolate has cadmium and lead in it. That dark chocolate, maybe that's not a good idea. Um, well, how about sugar cookies and heart-shaped pizza? That's a popular thing in some households, uh, especially the ladies and their grandchildren get together and make heart-shaped cookies with pink frosting and, and um, oh, you got to get the red-colored uh, beverage, you know, to drink and, and make the pizza, you know, heart-shaped. Well, you can go to Papa Murphy's and get the heart-shaped pizza. My daughter works for Papa Murphy's, and they are absolutely swamped on Tuesday, Valentine's Day. But the psalmist goes on and says here, Think about this for a moment. He says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. That's a pretty tall order. 
I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and not be put to shame. Now think about this for a minute. How many of us could say that to the Lord? That I will keep your law perfectly now and forever. I will walk in wide places. Well, wide places means that you got a freedom to walk wherever you want. You don't have to worry about stepping into a trap or, or getting lost. You, you walk in liberty. You walk in freedom. The, door, the, the pathways are open to you. And I will walk in liberty be, um, because I have God's word written in my heart. I seek after it. I find my guidance in it. It shows me the paths I need to take. And, and it shows, we just did Psalm 23. And that speaks very much about walking in his ways. And, and then how about this part about speaking boldly before kings? How about you going up before the governor and pointing your finger at him and proclaiming the gospel or, or, or maybe going oh, somewhere where there's, there's people that really do not like the word of God and proclaiming boldly. Paul did this kind of thing all the time. And probably most of us, if we were given the opportunity to do something like that, we would probably shy away. What I want to suggest to you here that God's valentine includes some gifts. One gift in particular. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's gift to us is his son. And it's only through his son that these words become a reality. Because we cannot be perfectly righteous. We're all born sinners. We just said that a few minutes ago. Sin continually, we struggle with it constantly. We don't walk perfectly in the ways of God, but Christ did. And when he gave himself on the cross, he exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. And so in Christ, we have the righteousness of Christ. We can say that we are perfect before the Lord, that he finds us acceptable, that we can walk continually in his ways because we are in Christ. We are being transformed day by day more into his image. But as far as God's concerned, he looks upon us and he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ to everyone who believes and trusts in him. And we can walk in liberty. We have a freedom. We're no longer bound to all kinds of, of laws and rules. And, and the whole aspect of the Gospels, as you read through it, Jesus was constantly being confronted with those that say, you're not doing things the way that it's supposed to be done. There's a freedom we have in Christ, a freedom to be the kind of people that God intends us to be. And that's only because 
Jesus Christ has set us free. If anyone is in Christ, he is free. He's a new creature. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. And then we get to this third thing here. How is it that we have confidence to represent Christ before the world? It's because we know who we are, but also who Christ is. We know that Christ not only took our sins upon the cross, but he rose from the grave in victory and he sits on the right hand of God the Father and the throne of God in heaven and he's there making intercession for us and he has the power and the authority and he's given that to us to proclaim the gospel, to minister to those in need, to be people that represent the truth. So as we look at this little section, we find that God has given us some really great gifts. He's given us his righteousness through Christ. He's given us freedom from our sin, freedom to become what he wants us to be. And he's given us the confidence to live in this world and stand confidently in the truth. And it's all because of we have the love, the steadfast mercy, the ever-constant covenant faithfulness of the Lord given to us. And so these things, you see, really hinge on that first verse. The first verse, let your steadfast love come to me, your salvation according to your promise. When we have a grip on that, we then have these other things. The certainty that we are found righteous through the work of Christ. The certainty that we have been set free. That we are no longer dominated by the power of the devil and the sin. And we have the certainty that we can be bold. Even if it means we have to face tremendous hardship and persecution. You know, there are many saints in Turkey and Syria who have had to stand for their faith. 750,000 people, Christians, have fled from Syria because of the wars. And now they're caught up in this terrible earthquake. I was watching the news and they were interviewing this guy. And he says, well, that apartment house over there collapsed in, in it was all full of refugees. But there's a confidence we have that this world will not overcome because we have the love of Christ and it will bring us to glory. Which brings us now to the last part of this little psalm. Well, we've talked about God's love for us. What about our love for God? We've got another word here. The word ahav. This is a Hebrew word that speaks of, of our affection, of our cherishing something. It's when you say to your wife, I love you, it's more a sense of ahav than it is hesed. Just think for a moment of two young lovers. You ever watch the Hallmark Channel? <laughs> My wife and I watch way too much of the Hallmark Channel. But they're clean movies. There's no kissing till the end. And, um, you know, they're basically two people trying to sort out, are we in love or not? 
And there's only about, I don't know what, four or five different plots, but all of them basically come down to this. How do I know that he loves me and that I love him? How do we know that we're in love? And here we have three illustrations of what it is that we should look for in us to help us know that we love the Lord. And that's real nice, good Presbyterian thing here, three Ds. You know, us, we as preachers got to have these literary things. Even the guy that wrote the psalm had to go through the alphabet. Um, first of all, he says, I find my delight. Now, the Ds aren't in this translation, but I'm going to use some Ds here. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Now, that word, like I said, is the first use of that word in this psalm. Ahav, it's, I, I find delight do you enjoy coming to church? Do you enjoy listening to a preacher go on and on and on and on? And, and do you enjoy sitting in your quiet corner for those few moments you have to read the Bible and, or take a moment for prayer? Do you just delight in being with other Christians? Do you, you, you find these things? Do you want to be close to the Lord? Is it something you, you yearn for? Just to be in his presence is, is a wonderful thing. And you want to be together with him. You know, my wife and I can sit there at the table and work on a jigsaw puzzle. We're retired. We can do that. And um, we might not say a word to each other for half an hour. Other than, ooh, I found it. Or, I can't find this one. Where is it? But other than that, you know. But we just love being together. And do you love being together with the Lord? Do you delight in Him? That's the first one. The second one is, do you desire Him? Do you reach out for Him? Do you embrace and hold fast to Him? Do we all like hugs? Um, young lovers, Probably the one thing that characterizes them more than other, you can always spot this, they're holding hands. They like to touch. And here we find in the psalm, I will lift up my hands, I will reach up to your commandments, which I love. Uh, the, the concept of touching, of, of embracing, of desiring, of, and, and in that sense, clinging to, holding fast to? Um, do you have a sense of commitment in your heart to the Lord? Do you, do you want to just be holding fast? Do you, do you want to hold fast to the Word? Do you want to come to worship even though there are other things that you could be doing that perhaps would be more, well, let's face it, it's much better to come to the Lord's house and sing His praises and worship Him. And finally, there is devotion, meditation. I will meditate on your statutes. <coughs> I'm glad you put water here. <coughs> we are devoting ourselves to him. And that means we are 
enjoying our meditation in his word. And, and let's face it, 176 verses basically about meditating on the word of God and what it means for me. I didn't say this earlier, but Psalm 119 sits between two sections of the book of Psalms that are used for worship. Psalm 113 to 118 are the psalms they used during Passover. And Psalm 120 through 134 are known as the Psalms of Ascent, were songs they would sing as they were journeying to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Harvest. In between there are 50 days. Now, some people call the Feast of Tabernacles Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days over Passover, right? The death of Christ, 50 days, the giving of the Holy Spirit, New Testament. 50 days, and what do you do during those 50 days? Psalm 119 was a very popular psalm for meditation during that period between Passover and Pentecost, what they called the days of Omer in Jewish worship. It was a time in which you take slowly a walk through the alphabet and meditate and think upon the Word of God and all the different ways it has relevance and meaning to me. Um, in other words, this psalm is a psalm of worship. And it's intended to be a means of devotion, of delighting, of embracing, of holding fast to the Lord. And interestingly enough, you know, we think, well, you know, you got, what, six psalms here and you got uh, 14 over here and there's just one in the middle. That one in the middle is twice the length of the six before and a little bit more in length than the 14 that follow. In other words, it's a very lot of material here, but 50 days or more. So I want to encourage you to take time to devote yourself to reading this psalm, and as you do it, do it slowly. Savor verse by verse and think about how does this teach me how to pray? How does this teach me what does this teach me to meditate and think about? How does this draw me closer to the Lord? Or how does this kind of point the finger at me at those places where I'm stumbling, I'm struggling, I need help? And just remember that all of this relies basically on the fact that God has given you a valentine the assurance of his love, of his grace, of his mercy, of his covenant, of his salvation, his promise, his vow of love to you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we acknowledge the fact that too often we get so absorbed in the things of our life that we forget about your love for us. We thank you, Father, that you reminded us through these words of your scripture that truly we have a wonderful thing and it doesn't depend at all upon us, for it's by your grace, a gift from you and not anything we have done, that we have this assurance of your love. 
We thank you, Lord, for your son you gave for us, for the freedom, the righteousness he has brought into our hearts and lives. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to have the courage to serve him. And Father, we just pray that you'll increase our desire, our devotion, our delight in you. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.